Part two of the Letters of Lord Nelson to Lady Hamilton, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Watkins. The Letters of Lord Nelson to Lady Hamilton by Horatio Nelson. Letters nine to thirteen. Letter nine. San Josef, February eighth, eighteen o one. My dear lady, Mr. Davison demands the privilege of carrying back an answer to your kind letter, and I am sure he will be very punctual in the delivery. I am not in very good spirits, and, except that our country demands all our services and abilities to bring about an honourable peace, nothing should prevent my being the bearer of my own letter. But, my dear friend, I know you are so true and loyal an Englishwoman that you would hate those who would not stand forth in defence of our king, laws, religion, and all that is dear to us. It is your sex that makes us go forth, and seems to tell us, None but the brave deserve the fair, and, if we fall, we still live in the hearts of those females. You are dear to us. It is your sex that rewards us, it is your sex who cherish our memories, and you, my dear, honoured friend, are, believe me, the first, the best, of your sex. I have been the world around, and in every corner of it, and never yet saw your equal, or even one which could be put in comparison with you. You know how to reward virtue, honour, and courage, and never to ask if it is placed in a prince, duke, lord, or peasant, and I hope, one day, to see you, in peace, before I set out for Bronte, which I am resolved to do. Darby's is one of the ships sent out after the French squadron. I shall, therefore, give the print to Hardy. I think they might come by the mail-coach, as a parcel wrapped up round a stick. Any print-shop will give you one, and direct it as my letters. The coach stops for parcels at the White Bear, I believe, Piccadilly. Pray, have you got any picture from Mrs. Heads? I hope Mr. Bryden has executed the frames to your satisfaction. The bill he is directed to send to me. Only tell me how I can be useful to you and Sir William, and believe nothing could give me more pleasure, being, with the greatest truth, my dear lady, your most obliged and affectionate friend, Nelson and Bronte. I am told the moment St. George arrives that I am to be tumbled out of this ship, as the V de Paris is going to Plymouth, to be paid, and the Earl will hoist his flag here, and if I am as fortunate in getting a fresh-painted cabin, which is probable, I shall be knocked up. At all events, I shall be made very uncomfortable by this hurry. It has been very good and friendly of Mr. Davison to travel upwards of two hundred miles to make me a visit. I rather think the great Earl will not much like his not having called on him, but his manner of speaking of Mr. Davison, for his friendship to me, in the matter of the lawsuit, Lord St. Vincent states to my solicitors, as offensive to him. Why should it, only that Mr. Davison wishes that I should have justice done me, and not to be overpowered by weight of interest and money? Once more, God bless you and Sir William. N.N.B. Sir Isaac Hurd has gazetted Truebridge's, Hood, etc. honours, but has not gazetted mine, and he has the King's orders for mine as much as the others. Letter 10. Number 2, San Josef, February 16th, 1801. My dearest friend, your letters have made me happy today, and never again will I scold unless you begin. Therefore pray, never do. My confidence in you is firm as a rock. I cannot imagine who can have stopped my Sunday's letter. That it has been is clear, and the seal of the other has been clearly opened. But this might have happened from letters sticking together. Yours all came safe but the numbering of them will point out directly if one is missing. I do not think that anything very particular was in the letter which is lost. Believe me, my dear friend, that Lady A is as damned a blank as ever lived, 
and Mrs. W. is aboard. Mrs. U. a foolish pimp, eat up with pride that a blank will consent to put her to expense. Only do as I do, and all will be well, and you will be everything I wish. I thank you for your kindness to poor dear Mrs. Thompson. I send her a note, as desired by her dear good friend, who dotes on her. I send you a few lines, wrote in the late gale, which I think you will not disapprove. How interesting your letters are! You cannot write too much, or be too particular. Though blank's polished verse superior shine, though sensibility grace every line, though her soft muse be far above all praise, and female tenderness inspires her lays, deign to receive, though unadorned by the poetic art, the rude expressions which bespeak a sailor's untaught heart. A heart susceptible, sincere and true, a heart by fate and nature torn in two, one half to duty and his country due, the other, better half, to love and you. Sooner shall Britain's sons resign the empire of the sea, than Henry shall renounce his faith and plighted vows to thee. And waves on wares shall cease to roll, and tides forget to flow, ere thy true Henry's constant love, or ebb, or change shall know. The weather, thank God, is moderating. I have just got a letter from the new Earl at the Admiralty, full of compliments. But nothing shall stop my lawsuit, and I hope to cast him. I trust when I get to Spithead there will be no difficulty in getting leave of absence. The letters on service are so numerous, from three days' interruption of the post, that I must conclude with assuring you that I am, forever, your attached and unalterably yours, Nelson and Bronte. I shall begin a letter at night. Letter 11. March 1801. You say, my dearest friend, why don't I put my chief forward? He has put me in the front of the battle, and Nelson will be first. I could say more, but will not make you uneasy, knowing the firm friendship you have for me. The St. George will stamp an additional ray of glory to England's fame, if Nelson survives, and that almighty providence, who has hitherto protected me in all dangers, and covered my head in the day of battle, will still, if it be his pleasure, support and assist me. Keep me alive in your and Sir William's remembrance. My last thoughts will be with you both, for you love and esteem me. I judge your hearts by my own. May the great God of heaven protect and bless you and him, is the fervent prayer of your and Sir William's unalterable friend, till death. Letter 12. Friday night, nine o'clock, St. George, March 1801. Having, my truly dearest friend, got through a great deal of business, I am enabled to do justice to my private feelings, which are fixed, ever, on you, and about you, whenever the public service does not arrest my attention. I have read all, all your kind and affectionate letters, and have read them frequently over, and committed them to the flames, much against my inclination. There was one I rejoiced not to have to read at the time. It was where you consented to dine and sing with blank. Thank God it was not so, I could not have borne it, and now less than ever. But, I now know, he never can dine with you, for you would go out of the house sooner than suffer it, and as to letting him hear you sing, I only hope he will be struck deaf, and you dumb, sooner than such a thing should happen. But I know it never now can. You cannot think how my feelings are alive towards you, probably more than ever, and they never can be diminished. My hearty endeavours shall not be wanting, to improve and to give us new ties of regard and affection. I have seen and talked much with Mrs. Thompson's friend. The fellow seems to eat all my words when I talk of her and his child. He says he can never forget your goodness and kind affection to her, and his dear, dear child. I have had, you know, the felicity of seeing it, and a finer child never was produced by any two persons. It was, in truth, a love-begotten child. 
I am determined to keep him on board, for I know if they got together, they would soon have another. But after our two months' trip, I hope they will never be separated, and then let them do as they please. We are all bustle and activity. I shall sail on Monday, after your letter arrives. Truebridge will send it as an admiralty letter. On Tuesday I shall be in the Downs, if we have any wind, and Truebridge will send under cover to Admiral Lutwidge. It is not my intention to set my foot out of the ship, except to make my take-leave bow to Admiral Milbank. I have been much pressed to dine ashore, but no, never, if I can help it, till I dine with you. Eleven o'clock. Your dear letters just come on board. They are sympathetic with my own feelings, and I trust we shall soon meet, to part no more. Monday I shall be here for letters, Tuesday at Deal. Recollect I am for ever yours, I for ever, while life remains, yours, yours faithfully. Nelson and Bronte. I charge my only friend to keep well and think of her Nelson's glory. I have written to Lord Eldon, the Chancellor, as my brother desired. Pray, as you are going to buy a ticket for the Pigot Diamond, buy the right number, or it will be money thrown away. For ever, ever yours, only yours. Kindest regards to my dear Mrs. Thompson and my godchild. Letter 13. Deal. Shall be on board the Medusa before this letter go from the Downs. July 31st, 1801. My dearest Emma, did you not get my letter from Sheerness on Thursday morning, telling you I was just setting off for Deal, as I have no letter from you of yesterday, only those of Wednesday which went to Sheerness? It has been my damned blunder and not yours, for which I am deservedly punished, by missing one of your dear letters. They are my comfort, joy, and delight. My time is truly fully taken up, and my hand aches before night comes. I got to bed last night at half-past nine, but the hour was so unusual that I heard the clock strike one. To say that I thought of you would be nonsense, for you are never out of my thoughts. At this moment I see no prospect of my getting to London, but very soon the business of my command will become so simple that a child may direct it. What rascals your post-chase people must be! They have been paid everything. Captain Parker has one receipt for seven pounds odd, and I am sure that everything is paid. Therefore, do not pay a farthing. The cart-chase I paid at Dartford. You need not fear all the women in this world, for all others, except yourself, are pests to me. I know but one, for who can be like my Emma? I am confident you will do nothing which can hurt my feelings, and I will die by torture sooner than do anything which could offend you. Give ten thousand kisses to my dear Horatia. Yesterday the subject turned on the cowpox. A gentleman declared that his child was inoculated with the cowpox, and afterwards remained in a house where a child had the smallpox the natural way, and did not catch it. Therefore, here was a full trial with the cowpox. The child is only feverish for two days, and only a slight inflammation of the arm takes place, instead of being all over scabs. But do what you please. I did not get your newspapers, therefore do not know what promise you allude to, but this I know, I have none made me. The extension of the patent of peerage is going on, but the wording of my brother's note they have wrote for a meaning to. The patent must be a new creation. First, to my father, if he outlives me, then to William and his sons, then to Mrs. Bolton and her sons, and Mrs. Matcham and hers. Farther than that I care not, it is far enough. But it may never get to any of them, for the old patent may extend by issue mail of my own carcase. I am not so very old, and may marry again, a wife more suitable to my genius. I like the Morning Chronicle. Ever, forever yours, only your, Nelson and Bronte. Best regards to Mrs. Nelson, the Duke, and Lord William. I have totally failed for poor Madame Brie. 
Bonaparte's wife is one of Martinique, and some plan is supposed to be carried on. End of part two.